From Washington Technology, this is the Project 38 podcast, where we explore the trends driving the government contracting market today and those shaping it for tomorrow, 2038. I'm Ross Wilker, Senior Staff Writer. This is the third in our series of interviews with leading defense industry executives to talk about the disruption and transformation sweeping across the market, both in terms of new technologies and the new ways agencies are using to acquire those tools. Yogesh Khanna is the Chief Technology Officer of General Dynamics Information Technology Business, which is going through a transformation of its own, the acquisition of CSRA, last year. The ongoing integration of CSRA was one of many topics in this conversation with Khanna, which I began by asking him for his observations about two particular tech trends that seem to overarch the rest, cloud computing and cybersecurity. Cloud remains uh, part of our mainstream dialogue uh, in the industry. It truly has become what I call the new growth platform. There's a lot of discussion going back almost 10 years, uh, and it was mostly aspirational that we're going to move more and more of our workloads into the cloud at some time in the future. Cloud, basically, at the infrastructure layer has been commoditized, hasn't it, right? We don't think about, you know, compute and storage, and, and even the underlying network, um, those are becoming commoditized you know, utilities. And, and I think it's generally an expectation by most of our customers that in some capacity, some shape, way, or form, they're going to put some workloads in the cloud to move at the speed of innovation, if you will. But the infrastructure at the lowest layer is not really where the value is going to get created. Right? It's what you do on top of the cloud that I get most excited about. I think more and more of our customers are trying to develop a very rich uh, set of uh, CI, CD tool chain. These are the continuous improvement, continuous development uh, toolkits um, that have sort of emerged in the cloud at the platform layer. How you actually leverage those tool sets to create the next generation of native applications that are tailor-made for a highly virtualized environment, namely the cloud, is a very exciting space. Uh, These tool chains, of course, are facilitating the development of applications, software, if you will, that drives the new set of services that the government expects to deliver to the citizens, to the civil servants, uh, and to the warfighters. And of course, there's a the the layer on the, the utmost top of the stack, which is often not talked about, but I think as people get more comfortable with consuming services on a pay-as-you-go basis and letting control of the underlying layers of the stack go and focus on the outcomes, I think business processes become more relevant. So buying business process as a service is something very real in the marketplace. I think that's where the value is being created, and our customers are demonstrating that in the RFIs and RFPs that are coming out of the market to, to buy in a different way, nevertheless, in the cloud. Uh, now, you touched on cyber. You know, those are two of the three or four key vectors that are uh, prevalent in our discussion in, in, in the federal marketplace. Cyber is uh, a domain that will continue to remain a, a, a significant challenge uh, for us in the federal marketplace. If you look at the hacker community, it is getting smarter and larger. 
you couple that with nation states that have developed uh, academies to hack into critical infrastructure and applications and systems of record uh, at a national level, uh, and that implies large agencies that um, are part of the government, it is not lost on us that uh, the threats will continue to increase. And the way those threats manifest themselves into our systems will will continue to be fairly advanced. So as a nation and certainly as a systems integrator that uh, works to support the missions of our customers, we're going to have to be very vigilant in, in staying just a step ahead of our adversaries and, and continue to uh, leverage the heck out of you know, emerging technologies to uh, protect not just the perimeter, which is kind of the old way of, you know, of protecting the environment. The perimeter is, is important, but you have to sort of you know, do the defense in depth, which is a, a sort of an older term. Now we call it zero trust, you know, trust nothing, if you will. And, and as a result, from perimeter all the way up to the applications and the most granular level down to the data objects, you have to actually build in uh, security means so that um, you have those multi-layer approach to fight the adversaries uh, across the full spectrum. So I think we're going to uh, continue to look for tools and technologies and integrate them. Uh, I'm particularly excited about how some of the security tools intersect with this new vector that is the AI vector, as I call it. Artificial intelligence will be pervasive across the full stack, and I think it's going to have a tremendous impact uh, on how security is done both from a detection of events all the way to how we collect all the events and analyze them, but most importantly, how we actually have machine learning technologies to be able to act on these, on these events based on a declarative set of policies to remediate automatically, thereby bringing a level of automation in the cyber domain. In a nutshell, how do you work with many agencies substantially all of them, that throughout their history, they've acquired 200 years of data, probably never thrown a single piece of it away? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, we certainly do have um, policies across many of the federal agencies where they are required to retain that data. And, and data is uh, the fuel that will drive uh, value in the near future. So large enterprises, large agencies that have access to that data and wish to mine it, you know, the first task is to, of course, uh, know what you have. Uh, so discovery becomes uh, a non-trivial challenge. And these data sources are disparate uh, and many. So how you actually stitch that data together and create that logical pool uh, becomes important. After you have some semblance of uh, a finite set of data that you want to mine, you have to sort of contextualize that, right? You have to understand what applications, what systems are generating what data, and how do these applications interact with each other? You know, what kind of flows are occurring to draw some, uh, some architecture, if you will, of the macro system that is an agency, right? So contextualization becomes the second piece that's very important. Only then can you appropriately um, mine that data um, because you understand the patterns. And once you have that contextual architecture in place, you can then take the third step, which is to act on that data, right? So I look at it as collection of data through discovery, 
analysis and contextualizing that data, contextualizing first and then analyzing it. And then the third piece is the ability to act on that and take take some actions. And, and the best way to actually look at it is is uh, like a Tesla car, you know, um, which I hope to drive one day. Yeah, and then you see more and more on, more on the roads. So let me use sort of a, a um, that as a, as a metaphor to explain what I'm talking about, right? A Tesla car on the road um, has got literally hundreds of sensors on the car, so it's collecting a lot of data near real time, right? Contextualizing that is is all about you know saying okay, I see a white line here, I see a yellow line there, uh, that implies something to the car, right? I see maybe a larger vehicle or a, a jersey wall or something like that. So all that is trying to place now an automobile in a lane in context of multiple lanes of a highway. I can turn a turn signal and change a lane because I'm watching something in my blind spot as a, as a clear, or if I have something, I'm gonna resist changing the lane, right? So all that. Then taking that data and acting on it, saying, okay, if I turn a signal and there's nobody in my blind spot, I'm actually gonna change the lane automatically, right? That's the level of automation that a Tesla has achieved. So that's no different than uh, operating in the cyber domain uh, where you have a bunch of incidents it's no different than discovering a set of business processes that you're trying to automate. It's no different than creating um, a pool of all the incidents in your service management exercise where you're trying to bring you know, ITSM functionality to monitor a complex network, for, for example. It's all about collecting the data, contextualizing it, and acting on it. That's, in essence, you know, what we're trying to speed up, and AI certainly helps in that space. General dynamics, IT, you through your own transformation within the past year, GDIT plus CSRA with that. How do you see IT services business that you work in fit into the larger puzzle of General Dynamics Corporation? Well, so interestingly, you know, we have 10 business units that make up all of GD. Uh, and if you look at our broader portfolio, certainly there's a lot that we produce by way of products, right? We're we're in the business of making aircrafts, as an example. We make submarines, we make tactical vehicles, we make ships, etc. cetera. Uh, and certainly we have GDIT that is um, laser focused on delivering IT services uh, to the federal government. Interestingly, all of those other business units also are fueled or supported by IT, right? So therein lies one intersection point. Uh, our CIO, Christy Grinnell, is um, one of the leaders uh, in the corporate-wide CIO council, where periodically we uh, meet and, and make sure that uh, we're all sharing best practices and, and leveraging you know, the lessons learned by each other. So that, that's one way to sort of keep in touch. I sit on an engineering and innovation uh, council that is also a corporate-wide initiative where CTOs of all of the business units meet uh, quarterly again, to share lessons learned and uh, best practices. You know, as you look at our broader portfolio, we are predominantly, I mean, take, take Gulfstream aside for a second because that's, uh, you know, making aircrafts for commercial and federal uh, clients, I suppose. They're cool planes, but they're awesome planes. The best in the industry, quite frankly. Uh, but if you look at the rest of our companies, we're largely serving the government of the United States the fact that the GDIT enterprise is part of an organization that is 
that much closer to serving the broader mission of the government, namely the DOD, the intel community and all that, really empowers us to really understand the mission and business of our customers and bring just the right solutions you know, at the right time. So I think that's, you know, as, as, as a member of a uh, leadership team that came in from, you know, CSRA into the GD family, I'm just tickled at the, the depth and breadth of, you know, the clients that we serve uh, within this portfolio and our ability to cross-pollinate and get, the, get that understanding baked into the IT services that we deliver to our clients. Can you share a quick example of something you heard from one of your CTO compatriots that you took away as a lesson learned? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at GDMS, you know, I love their mantra. They, they work on equipment that sticks to platform. Right? So they're, they're product house. They do a lot of stuff in the encryption space. Uh, you've heard of Taclean, Fastlane. That's kind of their integral part of their uh, product portfolio. So how they protect information uh, at rest uh, and in motion is something uh, that is a fantastic thing for us to leverage as we try and deliver better cyber security, better cyber solutions to uh, our, our FedSiv and our Intel and DoD customers. So it's become a point of uh, integration for the two entities, GDMS and GDIT, to collaborate on. Uh, another example is uh, going the other way, you know, GDIT has done phenomenal work in the cloud space. I mean, if you look at our bona fides in cloud, you know, we consider ourselves among the leaders in that space. Uh, we certainly have programs like Mel Cloud, uh, and, and we've recently won a lot of uh, cloud-centric uh, programs across our FedSiv and, and the Intel portfolio. GDMS is leveraging that cloud expertise to try and extend the cloud to the tactical edge. Right, so as I said, they are focused on equipment or gear that sticks to platforms. Let's consider platform as a tactical vehicle, right? If you're putting encryptors, if you're putting sensors, if you're collecting information, rather than sending it to a cloud that's sitting at some DISA deck, as an example, or back in, let's say, an Amazon or some other data center, how can we bring the compute and storage and networking prowess and performance of a cloud to the tactical edge so that you can do a lot of the processing right there and speed things up. I talked about moving at the speed of machines. Which move faster than us. Right. And I just imagine a warfighter um, at the edge in the, in the theater, extension of a cloud to benefit that warfighter where you can you know, bring better information at a much faster clip. Remember, I, I said earlier, their priorities are all about speed uh, and performance, and perhaps less so cost, although cost is sort of table stakes across the board for all of our customers. But the ability to do that at a much faster rate, at a much better performance, is, is an edge that our warfighters need. So we're collaborating again with GDMS on that front uh, to bring greater value to, to our DoD clients. We hear a lot of noise kind of about commercial technology and innovation and not just Silicon Valley, but name your tech hub, Austin, Boston, Denver might be sort of another one we hear about a lot. As a systems integrator, how do you cast your eyes out there and keep your ears to the ground as to some of the, some of the creations that are emerging out there where that might make sense for one of your agency customers? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a first of all, it's a constant challenge, um, and it's not easy. It takes a, a non-trivial and laser-focused attention to sort of keep an eye on this ever-changing and fast-changing landscape, both from the mission side as well as on the technology landscape that I've talked about, right? You know, a few years ago, we launched our Emerging Tech program, and the intent for that was to leverage literally the billions of dollars of investments that are going on across the major tech hubs that you alluded to, and, and building partnerships where we can, again, map those mission needs that I talked about, which is so critical to understand, and constantly exploring the art of the possible uh, by way of this very rich portfolio of tools and technologies that, that emerge from these tech hubs. We have a, a very small team that is keeping a very close eye on uh, listening to our uh, divisions who are closest to our customers and understand the missions of our customers the best uh, and, and drawing the key mission needs. And on the flip side, keeping a very close eye on this ever-changing tech landscape, particularly focusing on innovative solutions and creativity that comes from these hubs and constantly trying to do that matchmaking uh, to explore that out of the possible. And when we can get a customer to the table and, and do that jointly, we co-create a lot of value. It isn't easy. Uh, it takes a lot of discipline. It takes uh, the right folks who understand both the business and, and mission side and the technology side. But it's, it's an exciting way to actually um, co-create a lot of value with our customers and, quite frankly, our partners. Just to throw up an example, if I'm one of these tech companies, it's assuming that it's venture-backed or or you're supported by other private equity, yeah. how good are the odds that I may run into someone from GD at, say, like a RSA conference or one of these other commercial tech trade shows? Well, the odds are pretty good. I mean, we, we, we attend a lot of these conferences to learn from our partner ecosystem. And I just want to clarify, you know, the innovation is not just happening with smaller venture back mm -hmm. companies. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of innovation that some of our largest partners uh, are also doing and investing heavily in. So the Fortune 50s, absolutely. Fortune 10s. And absolutely. So we're keeping a close eye on the full spectrum of our partners, not just the emerging. You know, we attend conferences. Um, if you run into any one of our uh, technologists there, uh, or if you happen to event, uh, uh, attend an event here at uh, GDIT, whether it's at Lunch and Learn or one of the other open events, we have open communities of interest that we've got where sometimes we'll invite you know, people from outside so that we can get that outside in thinking. We're humble enough to recognize that all the best ideas are not within the four walls of GDIT. So we, uh, in a very structured and deliberate way, try to get that outside in thinking uh, baked into creating new solutions. So if you if you come across or if you are a member of a team that is innovating, uh, certainly bring that to our attention. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty well, uh, you know, my, my contact details are pretty well published, but you can reach out to me personally and I'll make sure that uh, we very quickly collaborate with the right stakeholders within GDIT and, and converge on whether that company or that capability has potential to create value for our customers in our portfolio. So it's a pretty pretty um, straightforward and quick process. Uh, and if you see something that, that has the potential, we'll, we'll uh, collaborate very quickly.
you're pretty responsive. Fair? We have to be. Uh, our customers expect us to be uh, responsive, and the differentiators in the market today are less about having a unique piece of technology, but more about how you take certain technologies and create solutions very, very quickly so that you can address the needs of our customers uh, in a very responsive manner. Have you seen any changes in how many of the government agencies think about innovation with all of this, with all this investment activity that's occurring in some of these tech hubs and ecosystems? Absolutely. I mean, uh, one of the things that uh, I've noticed is a, a tremendous or great appetite on the part of government to embrace uh, emerging technologies. The appetite to take uh, more risk than, than in the past is, is definitely noticeable. I mean, the initiatives like DIUX, as an example, uh, or the investments that uh, the Intel agencies made in entities like InQtel are fantastic examples of how the, the thinking uh, has evolved over the last you know, decade, decade and a half, right? Uh, the government at the highest level has recognized that they must embrace uh, new technologies, new capabilities, new business models, new processes, um, you know, I often talk about innovation. I've done, you know, some talks and, and podcasts in the recent past about what innovation really is. Innovation is not just about, you know, leading as technology. It's about uh, doing things a different way, and that often can mean a different approach, a different process, right? It can certainly be in, in, in different business models uh, that you use to consume a new capability. So it's a full spectrum of, of how you innovate, and, and the government continues to show us great appetite to, to embrace change. And, and what we're doing is constantly having those kinds of uh, out of the possible discussions so that we can provide them a new set of capabilities, new services to uh, improve uh, the value to support their mission better. Can't let you go without closing the conversation about talent, which seems to be topic A, topic B, and in some instances also topic C for the industry. Are you finding that young you know, emerging tech workers are interested in entering the government market, whether you know, be it for a systems integrator like yourself or even inside the government agency? You know, there, there are two kinds of sort of mindsets uh, for the millennials who are coming in into the workforce, right? What we're looking for are people who have a passion to serve the nation, who appreciate the, uh, the importance of national security, uh, the importance of a, uh, a strong defense, who understand the importance of um, serving the citizens and the civil servants that, that run our government on a day-to-day -day basis. If you can find people who, who have an affinity to the broader cause that supports our nation, coupled with the requisite skill sets that they come out of, uh, out of a two-year or four-year or even advanced degrees, that's sort of the ideal candidate for GDIT. That doesn't mean that uh, we're not interested in uh, occasionally people who have spent some time in the commercial uh, enterprises to come in and bring some of those commercial best practices. We're certainly open to that. Uh, we recruit people who've spent you know, some early years in the commercial domain, 
we're, we're sort of firm believers in GDIT of bringing that outside-in mindset. And, and it's very important, very healthy for any organization to have a diverse uh, workforce that is not just striking the right balance from a gender perspective, not striking the right balance from you know, technical versus liberal arts majors and all that, but also people who have either affinity or experience in the government uh, coupled with those who've actually been in the commercial side. I think it's just a, getting that healthy mix is a good thing, and it creates, I think, uh, higher levels of value for the customers. I'm a bit of a liberal arts major, so I feel pretty welcome already. There you go. You should apply. You've got a lot of jobs open. You, you've done some things as well at GDIT with sort of looking to some localities and, and geographic places that some would say are not traditionally thought of as, tradi- as I'm using air quotes, you know, traditional hotbeds for tech talent. Can you talk about that? Sure. I mean, you know, a few years ago, we um, we sort of anticipated the, the the crunch, if you will, on tech talent. And and if you if you look at the patterns in the commercial space, uh, what do commercial companies do? They take a global perspective, and they will source talent from, you know, offshore companies or offshore talent pools. A commercial entity can go to India or go to go to Taiwan or go to Eastern Europe and all that and tap into some very deep and rich uh, pools that exist out there and, and either get the talent or sometimes even set up delivery centers in those countries to render or deliver services to their customers in the U.S. or around the globe. We sort of looked at that. Now, our Customer profile is a little different. Uh, federal customers do not uh, want, based on a lot of policy and, and good business and mission reasons, to have data uh, sit outside or processed uh, outside of the uh, United States. And certainly there are citizenship requirements. Um, people who have access to the government data um, must be either U.S. citizens and sometimes you know, at least permanent residents. Um, so we felt that we needed to have a, let's call it a low-cost talent pool for ourselves to deliver better value to our customers, uh, but that low-cost center had to be here in the United States. Uh, so we did an extensive uh, sort of search across the nation and, and found uh, Louisiana to be a location where in Bossier City, working very closely with the state of Louisiana, uh, we, um, you know, deployed a delivery center. It's called ITC. That's our integrated technology center. And the reason we picked that, uh, other than getting a very collaborative group of people at at the state level, was the academic institutions that that state had. We found the university ecosystem to be uh, very broad and very deep, and they have engineering programs, they have uh, computer science programs, they have data analytics program, uh, they have programs in cybersecurity that are um, absolutely among the very best uh, in the nation. Uh, and they have a very rich community college ecosystem that allows us to get folks on a path where they can come in and work in, let's say, a, a, a service desk. And then as they uh, gain more skills, some of them go on to get their four-year degree um, at the university. Some of them, based on experience, will advance and become cyber experts or data analysts and so on. So 
the rich academic institution coupled with the collaborative um, state personnel gave us a, a perfect sort of location in Bossier City. We've got uh, over a thousand people employed there and, and that has been uh, a fantastic uh, sort of initiative um, over the last few years and we hope to do more in that state uh, out of the Bossier City Center in the coming years. That was my interview with Yogesh Khanna of General Dynamics IT. You can subscribe to the Project 38 podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or other podcatcher app of your choice. A complete library of Project 38 episodes is also available on our website, washingtontechnology.com, home to the news and views that move the government contracting market. I'm Ross Wilkers, and thanks for listening.